Hello, everyone, and welcome in to the newest edition of the Just In Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson, and remember to follow the Twitter page at Sports for all of your breaking news and sports coverage. Now, don't forget to also follow the show on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Hit that subscribe button, download, and tell your friends. But in this week's episode, we'll be talking about the NBA and what went down in a wild NBA trade deadline. We'll be talking about what's going down in the NFL, and we'll have our best for last. Now, I hope you guys sit back and get ready to learn something. Alrighty, guys, and welcome into the show. Wow is all I have to say. Uh, the NBA trade deadline did not disappoint. Um, uh, it was it's funny. I was talking to a few friends of mine, and I was saying, "Man, it was like you know, 9 p.m. Central Time." And I was saying, "Man, um, or 9 a.m. Central Time, rather." And I'm like, "Hey, man, it's it's going pretty slow today. I mean, nothing's really happening." Um, you know, you start hearing rumblings about Kyle Lowry. Obviously, I'm a Pelican fan, uh, so I've been hearing Lonzo Ball trade rumors for the past week. You know, where there's smoke, there's fire kind of thing. Um, you know, you, you've been hearing, you know, Victor Oladipo had to come to a pass eventually with Houston because it was either pay him big dollars in the offseason or he walks for nothing. So Victor Oladipo had to come to a pass with Houston. Aaron Gordon had requested a trade. We started to hear that. Um, Chicago may have been moving Zach Levine. So there was a lot of rumors floating around. Boston needed a big. You knew something had to happen with LaMarcus Aldridge. You knew Andre Drummond had to come to resolution with Cleveland. You know, um, a lot of different things were happening. A lot of different pieces on the table. But it's 9 a.m., maybe 9.30, and I'm sitting there going, man, nobody's in anything. You know, it's like, you know, there was a couple of minor trades. Like the Kings made a minor trade, um, but nothing major. And it's almost as if I spoke it into existence, which as a guy who needs content for a show, I was not complaining about at all. Actually, I was thinking I was going to lead to the show with not even the quietest trade deadline in history. And then it became a boom fest. Um, The deals I'm going to talk about are not in particular order. Um, A lot of times they're just what, you know, just deals that happen. Maybe stuff I may have forgotten about and put it down later, etc. But this is huge. A lot of big stuff happened. Uh, the biggest name to be moved in terms of name value was definitely Aaron Gordon going to the Denver Nuggets. Now, that trade was pretty substantial because when you move Aaron Gordon, who wanted to be traded, you basically say as the Orlando Magic, we're going to start over. Which actually, this is the second Magic big man to get moved because they moved Vucevic to Chicago, which we're going to talk about next. But Aaron Gordon should be two-time dunk champion. i argue with your mother. That he should be a two-time dunk champion. He gets moved to the Denver Nuggets. Now, for the Denver Nuggets, that's an upgrade. Obviously, Aaron Gordon is immediately your starter at the at the at the forward position, smaller power. He immediately becomes a, a scorer, a high flyer. Somebody Jokic is going to love passing the ball to. Somebody that's incredibly dangerous in the pick and roll with Jamal Murray, because Jokic in the pick and roll. I mean, Jokic is slow, and Jokic is a very good basketball player. He's probably an MVP favorite. He's either one, two, or three, depending on your rankings. Um, but he's slow. So in a pick and roll with Jamal Murray coming off the pick, well, you can drop down to Murray. 
if Jokic is rolling because he's not a very fast person and he's not a high flyer. So you have no threat of him throwing it over your head like to a Zion, like to an Aaron Gordon, like to a Anthony Davis, somebody like that because Jokic is not going to leave the floor. Even a Joel Embiid to go up and get one, but Jokic is not going to leave the floor. Jokic's danger was if he fades and your center drops, well now Jokic is standing at the top of the key by himself shooting a wide open three. Well now... That same play with the Jokic fade becomes just even more dangerous because now you sit Aaron Gordon in the dunk spot. So now Murray comes off that screen. Or whatever hand on the ball coming off that screen. You Michael Porter Jr. coming off that screen. He's coming downhill. Aaron Gordon's in the dunk spot. One, people, one person's already out to play because of the pick. Your center probably tried to cut off the ball handler. Now Jokic is open. Michael Porter Jr. is putting a lot of stress on one person. I'm sorry, uh, Aaron Gordon is putting a lot of stress on one person in the dunk spot because if you leave him, it's a lob, it's a dunk. Or it's a bounce pass, to dunk. And so that is a lot of pressure to put on people in Denver. But what they had to do was they're going to pay Aaron Gordon to do what they could have just paid Jer- Jerry and Grant to do. Grant isn't going to Detroit, big money deal. You know, Detroit's not very good at all, but he goes to Detroit, he gets his money, he goes and he becomes their best player because Andre Drummond's on his way out the door, Billy Griffin's on his way out the door, already out the door, Drummond's on his way out. And so Denver had a gap at this kind of, I wouldn't say Swiss Army knife because Aaron Gordon's not that great on defense, but offensively, kind of a Swiss Army knife player. Like Aaron Gordon can handle the ball a little bit, Aaron Gordon can shoot, Aaron Gordon can drive to go and dunk, obviously. He as the should be as the people's two-time dunk champion. He has a lot of ability there to do a like I said Swiss Army knife game when on an offensive end when you could have just paid Grant to do the same thing. Uh, sorry, Jeremy Grant, not Jerry and Grant. Um, so that was a big get for the Denver Nuggets. They definitely kicked off or were part of the kickoff for the big name trades. Now, like I said, just a few minutes ago, the Orlando Magic did a double trade because they moved within 30 minutes of each other. They moved Nikola Vucevic, their all-star center, to the Chicago Bulls in return for a couple of young players. Uh, Wendell Carter and two first-round picks, I believe, went to Orlando in the Vucevic trade, and they got RJ Hampton, a pick from Denver, and another player who I can't... Oh, Gary Harris went to Orlando in return for um, Otto Porter. I went to, went to Chicago. But Gary Harris went from Denver to Orlando. And then they returned um, Wendell Carter, Otto Porter, and two first-round picks for Vucevic. So Orlando really went to work. Uh, they actually made three deals that day. Uh, we're going to talk about the third deal a little later. But they put Vucevic in Chicago. So now... The year starting lineup in Chicago is Nikola Vucevic. You have Zach Levine. You still have Lloyd Marketing. You still have Kobe White. The Chicago Bulls are in a good spot. Now, they're sitting 10th in the standings, and we'll give a breakdown of those later. They're sitting 10th in the standings, but 10th is a play-in team. And you think, well, you know, you have an immediate upgrade at the big man position because, like I said, Vucevic is a bona fide all-star who in a bigger market is probably in that he's not Joel Embiid, he's not Nikola Jokic, but he's fighting for third. He can have a case for third best center in the NBA, uh, depending on what you call Anthony Davis and things like that. But Nikola Vucevic has a case for, t- he's easily a top five center, and he has a case for three. 
if we're going to be perfectly honest. He's a very good and skilled big man. He can step out, shoot the three. Uh, him and Zach Levine, I believe, are the only two people in the NBA um, to shoot, to have their range. It's a, it's a range of numbers. It's like 24 points a game or 20-some points a game plus 40% three-point shooting on six three-point attempts a game. I think the Chicago Bulls now have both people that qualify for that, which is Nikola Vucevic and Zach Levine. So, multi-versatile scorer. He's a pretty decent defender. He's not the world's greatest rim protector, but he's a pretty decent defender. They've got Billy Donovan as a coach. I expect Chicago to start making some noise now. They got, I mean, they got to give two first-round picks. So, if those picks end up being lottery picks, they end up being top five. Maybe you look like, dang, we could have grabbed Kay Cunningham, put him beside um, Zach Levine, or draft Jonathan Kaminga, put him beside Levine. But clearly, the Chicago Bulls are going to build around Zach Levine. I know that was a target for a lot of contenders. Just like Washington, another trade deadline goes by, and Bradley Bill is still a wizard. Um, you know, Chicago looks like they're going to let trade deadlines go by and keep Zach Levine. They're going to double down on Zach Levine and what he does as a leader, who has one of Aaron Gordon's slam dunk contest trophies. And they're going to continue to go down that path, which I don't think is a bad thing. Zach Levine is a bona fide all-star level player. And now you're adding Vucevic, another all-star. He was an all-star this year, so or all-star level player. And so this is a huge move for the Chicago Bulls. The Los Angeles Clippers confirmed some reports. So if, if you guys remember, right around the offseason, right around early in the season, there was rumors that the Clippers, especially in the offseason, were trying to get rid of the old regime. They they, they fired Doc Rivers. Um, they let Montrezl Harrell walk literally across the hall to the Lakers. They were rumored to try to move Pat Bev and Lou Will. They were trying to get rid of the pre-Kawhi regime because that regime was pushing back. Sort of like Legion of Boom versus Russell Wilson. You know, that regime, that old regime, that tough regime was pushing back against the new superstar with the special treatment and stuff because Pat Bev was a grinder. Obviously, we know his history. He went overseas. He went, you know, he's a smaller player. He's His calling card is annoying to defense. Montrez Harrell, smaller for a center. He's one of the smaller centers in the NBA. Uh, to him, I mean, he's the same size as Tristan Thompson. Maybe he's a little smaller than Tristan Thompson. He's one of the smallest centers in the NBA. His whole game is energy, it's toughness, it's physicality, it's activity. So he obviously was one of those underdog kind of stories. You look at Lou Will. Lou Will is small, don't play a lot of defense, and doesn't start. He's an absolute scorer off the bench. He's a bucket, and he's tough. He's all about professionalism. And so when you've got guys like that mixed in with, okay, we can respect Paul, we can respect Kawhi Leonard walking in the building and getting a little plus treatment, not living in LA, living in San Diego, not, you know, doing what he's got to do. And we know Kawhi going to be there on game time because, hey, he's, he's Kawhi. Kawhi got a little plus treatment. He walked in fresh off a championship. He walked in with the cachet and the level and the ring that the Clippers were trying to get to. No problem. Lou Will, Montrez, Pat Bev, no problem at all. Nothing from us. Unfortunately, or coincidentally, Paul George walked in with the same cachet and the same level because of the assets the Clippers had to give up the trade for him. That's when the the culture pushed back. Like, okay, we get it with Kawhi. We don't love it because we were here putting those blood, sweat, and tears when we were the eighth seed trying to take games off of Golden State. 
we took what they took one or two games off Golden State, uh, fully healthy. One of the only teams I think to ever push the fully healthy Golden State team to seven to six. Um, we pushed back. We pushed against that Golden State team. We were here. It was Trez. It was Lou Will. It was you know uh, Pat Bev. It, it was that crew. We were. That was us. Well, okay. We get Kawhi coming in and being Kawhi. Paul George has done the same thing as us. And that's what they were thinking. He made the playoffs, flamed out in the playoffs. I mean, Paul George has done the same thing as us. Why do you have that same cachet? And so the culture pushed back. Well, look what they did in the offseason. Trades, you can go. Pat Bev is pretty much now out of the rotation. He's no longer starting. He is perpetually injured. And he was linked to a lot of trades over the past month, really. So they were trying to say, Pat Bev, you can go. And yesterday, they pulled the trigger and got Lou Will out of L.A. He was he was the second to last. And he's two out of the three, quote unquote, old culture guys that pushed back against the Paul George era, pushed back against the moving flights, being late for flights, no practice, practice, pushed back against that. So three out of the four members, including Doc, are gone now with only Pat Bev remaining from that group. But the and how they did this was the Los Angeles Clippers traded Lou Will, six man like Lou Will. They traded him to the Atlanta Hawks for Rajon Rondo. Now, what's interesting about this is, outside of sending Lou Will home to Atlanta, um, obviously got the Magic City moment, the the Lemon Pepper Lou incident uh, from the bubble. You bring Rondo in. Well, Rondo had an opportunity to sign with the Clippers in the offseason. And instead, due to a little bit more money mostly, went to Atlanta. Now, he was very excited about this role. He was on the All the Smoke podcast with Stephen Jackson and Matt Barnes. And he was talking about how it's a great opportunity and how he really gets a chance to mentor Trey Young, mentor Chris Dunn, mentor some of the other younger guys, and bring them up to a level where they could be ultimately successful and a lot more successful learning the game and stuff like that. Well, now he got his money. And now he comes back to L.A. and plays for the Clippers instead of the Lakers. So he's going to come in as a leader, as the point guard, as a culture setter, and try and get the Clippers into the same position he was with the Lakers last season, which is hoisting up a Lombardi trophy. Uh, Larry O'Brien trophy, sorry. So that was a big deal. The Boston Celtics. Right, we're going to talk about the Boston Celtics up next. Before we move on to, uh, we'll cover a couple more deals before we move on to people that did move and a couple of buyouts. The Boston Celtics. The the Boston Celtics. Uh, Danny Ainge. Well, we're going to talk about two deals simultaneously. We're going to change this a little bit. We'll talk about two deals simultaneously. Danny Ainge. I don't want to say is the most overrated GM or team president in basketball, but he's up there. Pat Riley is who Danny Ainge fans and supporters of Danny Ainge, supporters of the Celtics, think Danny Ainge is. Yes, I give Danny, Danny Ainge has some major hits, but let's contextualize these hits. The first thing everybody thinks of, the Boston Big Three. That's what they run to and defend them. The Boston Big Three plus Rondo. 
Kevin McHale was running the Minnesota Timberwolves and gave Kevin Garnett to the Boston Celtics for not a whole lot. And Kevin Garnett wants to go to Boston. Or not really wants to go to Boston, but he gave Kevin Garnett to Boston for basically nothing. And then he goes to Seattle and steals Ray Allen for basically nothing. So he was effectively giving his big three. Now, kudos for hitting on Rajon Rondo's drive pick. Kudos for hiring Doc Rivers. Hell, kudos for pulling off the trades. But you were giving KG and you already had Ray Allen basically in the bag because Ray Allen wants to go to Boston. Or that was already a done deal pretty much. Okay. You get one ring out of that. Kudos on hitting on like Glenn Davis. Um, he was good for you. Brandon Bass was solid for you as well. Nothing special, but solid. Okay. Then you fleece the Brooklyn Nets. You trade those old players. You trade um, Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce. They also put the, like Joe Johnson's on that team. I think Darren Williams is running around. If memory serves me correctly, it might not be Darren Williams, but they had another player that you fleeced the hell out of the Brooklyn Nets. And at the time, Mikhail Prokhorov, you fleece the hell out of them. And it turns out you both were equal. Because Brooklyn made the playoffs. Um, you know, they went out, but they made the playoffs with that old group. And then Danny Ainge, you turn around and you use some of those assets and you hit on Jason Tatum. Even though if the Sixers were wise, they would have went Tatum anyway. But you hit on Jason Tatum. You hit on a Jalen Brown. You do nothing after that. I mean, how good is Marcus Smart? Scrappy stuff. Slightly bigger version of Pat Beverly. Robert Williams, everybody's calling the Time Lord and Celtics fans are in love with. Okay, he jumps high. He's Tristan Thompson. Oh, you have Tristan Thompson. You trade Daniel Tice for Mo Wagner. You trade two second round picks and acquire Aaron Fournier when you have a big man problem. You drafted the lights of Trayvon Waters, who I like because he's from LSU. You drafted Carson Edwards, who I like because his tournament run was pretty nice, but he's a very small, undersized guard. You have the Colossus known as Taco Fall, who, fan favorite, sure, but uh, basketball player, not really all that great. You have Grant Williams, who it wasn't even the best player on that on that Tennessee team, I believe. That was Admiral Schofield. I don't know what's the hype about Danny Ainge. Sure. Again, sure. I, I give you credit for the Boston Big Three, even though it's kind of given to you. Let's say you get that credit. I'll give you the fleece of Brooklyn. But in all that winning every trade and not getting... Make sure you're getting extra value. Making sure you take advantage of other GMs, etc., etc., etc. Danny Ainge has one championship as a, as a decision maker for the Celtics. Other people with one championship in the East, at least one, Masai Ujiri, Kobe Altman, Masai Ujiri of the Toronto Raptors, Kobe Altman of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Even though I think David Griffin was president of the team, Kobe Altman was the right-hand man because um, Dan Gilbert doesn't extend GM contracts for some reason. But again, you know, you have marginal success. As the boss said, you have one ring. You win all these trades, and you amount to 
one ring. Pat Riley, your south, your southern counterpart, has a lot of rings. Well, he's got two. He's got three. He's got Dwayne Wade's three championships. He's in the finals last year. And he got Victor Oladipo for Kelly Olenek, who a lot of Heat fans I've talked to wanted to move off of anyway. He gets Kelly Olenek. He gets, he moves Kelly Olenek. He moves Avery Bradley, who had only played about 20 some odd games with the Heat anyway, due to injuries and things like that. And he moved the pick, which the Heat are going to be in the, in the playoffs, probably making a deepish run. So that pick uh, is really, isn't really valuable. He kept Tyler Hero. He kept Duncan Robinson. He kept Adam Adebayo. He kept Jimmy Butler. He kept his real assets. Kept Kendrick Nunn. And he was able to pick up Victor Oladipo. Now, Oladipo is on an expiring contract. But, hey, he was able to pick Oladipo up and put him in with the rest of that crew. But, hey, Boston says a big man problem. You trade for Evan Fournier from the Orlando Magic for two second round picks. Which uh, update does not solve your big man problem at all? Dang, you, you you traded for Mo Wagner, Mo Wagner, by giving up Daniel Tice. Update: You still have a big man problem. But hey, he's gonna win every trade. And the Boston Celtics currently sent eight in the East with two All-Stars. Yeah. Pat Riley's team, even though they're going on a little bit of a break, even though they've lost five straight, sit one spot ahead of you. After at one point, thanks to COVID and other related issues, were way below you. Pat Riley's team got markedly better. And they sit to add LaMarcus Aldridge. They have about 747000 under the cap, uh, under the luxury tax. LaMarcus Aldridge's prorated contract should come in at about $586,000 to get better again. Danny Ainge will still have a big man problem. Pat Riley is who Celtics fans think Danny Ainge is. Sorry, Celtics fans. Truth. I don't like being a bear of bad news. I really don't. That's not enjoyable for me. But Danny Ainge is who the media wants to tell you. And Celtics fans wants to tell you Pat Riley actually is. Now let's shift gears to some faces staying in their current places. I'm going to start off with the Pelicans. They are keeping Lonzo Ball. Remember that was a that was a smoke that was smoke everywhere on that thing for like two three weeks. Um, Lonzo Ball is gonna be moved. We heard the Knicks. We heard Dallas. I heard at one point. We heard Chicago. We heard a couple. We heard Clippers. We heard a couple of other people that were interested in the services of Lonzo Ball. It turns out the Pelicans were interested more in retaining him than any of the offers. I mean, we heard Lonzo Ball for Bobo straight up. No. We heard Lonzo Ball for Lori Marketing and maybe like a second round pick. No. We you know, we, we didn't even know what the Knicks offered. I mean their offer apparently wasn't even good enough to get to the media. No. And so the reason why the offers was probably so low was because Lonzo Ball enters restricted free agency come this offseason. 
Now, it's not true, uh, you know, free agency. It's not where, you know, people can put in an offer. You can accept whatever offer you want. It's not. It's restricted free agency. So you go in there, team submit an offer sheet to you. Now, this offer sheet, you can take or you have to take back to your team and tell you the contract I am willing to accept from Team X is five years, $80 million. Now, Team X has a right to match or decline to match. If they match, you remain as a member of your current team under that contract that you agree with the other team. If you don't match, you're free to sign with that team. Well, Alonzo Ball is entering restrictive agency. Now, we've been hearing a lot of different numbers in regards to him. Uh, $18 million a year was a good number. So that'd be four years, like $72 million or five years, 90. But I'd probably say four years, 72. We've been hearing things such as he may go to $20 million a year, which is four years, 80 or five years for 100. Again, I probably do a four year deal. 80 plus maybe a fifth year kicker if certain things are met. You know, if he, make, if he makes an all star team, they win a championship, etc., 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 you can add in this big old fifth year kicker. Um, ultimately, the Pelicans are going to have to match whatever deal he gets because if Chicago is willing to trade for him and then try to re sign him in free agency, they're clearly planning on having him for a long time. New Orleans is going to have to match, like I said, whatever they get because the Knicks have deep pockets. The Clippers are out of it now, thanks to Rondo, having another year on his deal. But the Clippers have deep pockets as well, thanks to Steve Ballmer. He's willing to pay whatever tax he has to pay to win a championship. And so the Pelicans are going to have to match. I say his deal is going to come in around four years, 90, um, which would be about $23 million a year, $22.5 million a year. Four years, 90 feels like right around where he will come in with a big fifth-year kicker. So it may on paper look like five years, 120. Five years on 125, but in reality, it's a four year 90 or a four year 94 or something like that with a big fifth year kicker. So that'll be an interesting situation to watch. The Pelicans did make a trade, however, shipping JJ Reddick and Nikola um, Melly out to the Dallas Mavericks in return for James Johnson, Uwandu, and a second round pick, I believe. And so with James Johnson, the Pelicans get a little bit tougher, a little bit more defensively minded, which is something Stan Van Gundy has been imploring his young team to do. Now they do that in an attempt to make a playoff push and they retain what will be the future of New Orleans, their version of a big three in B.I., Zion and Lonzo Ball. Kyle Lowry was the other big name that didn't move. Uh, Kyle Lowry was connected to the Heat and the Lakers all day. It felt very like, much like a, this is your last game for him when he played with the Raptors. Drake FaceTimed him after the game during an interview. A lot of the interview questions were centered around his future with the team. Uh, Masai Ujiri admitted you know, yesterday that when he woke up yesterday morning, he didn't know if Kyle Lowry was going to be on the roster after the trade deadline. He said it, he said he honestly didn't know. Probably would call it something like 50-50. Because it, it definitely was a 50-50 situation. Um, whether Kyle Lowry was going to be on the Raptors or not. Ultimately, it came down to two teams. Because George Hill was acquired by the Philadelphia 76ers. So the Sixers were out. Uh, they were out in terms of the need. Now, apparently they were not out of the race. But they were out in terms of the need. And so with being out in terms of the need, it kind of takes away 
from what you're willing to offer somebody for something if your need for it has drastically decreased. So when Kyle Lowry was available to be moved, the two teams that it also came down to was the Miami Heat, good old Pat Riley, and the Los Angeles Lakers. Now, the Miami Heat would not include Tyler Hero in the trade talks, so that's why it broke down. Uh, reportedly, Duncan Robinson was in it. A couple of picks was in it as well, but Tyler Hero would not be included by the Miami Heat. As for the Lakers side, they would not include 20-year-old Taylor Horton Tucker in their discussions. Now, they were willing to give up KCP. They were willing to give up Dennis Schroeder. They were not willing to give up Taylor Horton Tucker as well to go with those guys for Kyle Lowry, which... Given Kyle Lowry's age of 35, and this is his last year of his contract, you know for a fact you're going to have to extend him whenever this season's up because otherwise you would have traded three players for 40-some-odd games, and that's just not smart. So you're going to have to extend him wherever he goes, but Kyle Lowry also remains with the Raptors with a chance that he signs an extension there and retires as a Toronto Raptor as the greatest player in franchise history. Now, there was a couple of other smaller moves. Obviously, you know, some bench guys got traded. Um, Nothing that really shakes up the NBA landscape. Like I said, the George Hill trade from Oklahoma City to Philadelphia helped Philly out a lot. Uh, There was nothing else. Oh, another trade. Sorry. Portland moved on from Gary Trent Jr. And they do a deal with the Raptors. They move on from Gary Trent Jr. and Rodney Hood and pick up Norman Powell. So that's a new guy off the bench for the Portland Trailblazers. But up next, oh, sorry, for, sorry, my bad. I forgot about the buyout market. LaMarcus Aldridge was officially bought out by the Miami, ah, by the San Antonio Spurs with the Miami Heat being his likely destination, although he will take visits to multiple teams and he will sit down with them and talk with them about what he can do with them for one year and possibly the future. A couple other potential buyouts that the league is watching is Andre Drummond. He's expected to be bought out by the Cleveland Cavaliers. And Otto Porter, newest member of the Orlando Magic, is expected to be possibly bought out by the Orlando Magic. Teams are watching that situation closely per reports. They are keeping their eye on him as well. as He's a potential guy to be bought out and be available to a title contender. Now, speaking of title contenders, let's take a look at those standings really, really, really quickly. We have in the East, Sixers, Bucks, Nets, Hornets, Knicks, Hawks, Heat, Celtics, Indiana, Chicago. And out West, we have Utah, Phoenix, Clippers, Lakers, Denver, Portland, Dallas, San Antonio, Memphis, Golden State. Um, Just a couple of notes. On the standings, Milwaukee absolutely on fire. Winners of eight straight. Uh, the Heat are just the opposite. Losers of five straight. The Clippers and the two LA teams are opposite sides of the spectrum. Obviously, the Clippers are getting healthy and getting whole. And they've won four straight. While the Lakers, Sands, AD, and LeBron have lost four straight. Uh, Memphis has won three straight. Golden State has lost three straight. San Antonio has lost three straight. As Dallas finds itself in the seventh seed after winning two straight. The Sixers, even without Embiid, have won four straight. Tobias Harris and Ben Simmons are playing really, really good basketball. And now you add in to George Hill. Utah seems to have fixed some of their problems. They've won three straight. So definitely something to keep our eye on. Without LaMelo Ball, the Hornets have won two straight. 
So uh, definitely something to watch there. Like I said earlier about the Vucevic trades, um, Chicago sits at 10th, loses a two straight. I expect them to come up. Uh, Indiana, I don't know how much they have fighting them, but Karis LeVert is back, so maybe they start making a run. The East is going to get tight at the bottom. You know, teams that may be sitting even as high as five with the Hornets may come all the way out of the playoffs. So this will be very interesting to watch out East. Obviously, out West, we're looking to see how far the Lakers fall without AD and LeBron. If AD is back in a couple of weeks, they may be eight or ninth when AD returns. He keeps them at 500. LeBron comes back for the stretch run. And if he can pull them up to six, they can avoid the play-in tournament and be a guaranteed playoff team. Or if he doesn't pull them up to six, they just have to win one game and they'll be in the play-in tournament anyway. So they'll be in the playoffs anyway. So not a huge deal. They just can't fall to, let's say, 11th. And then not be able to make up to get to 10th to get into the play-in. Stuff like that. So they're definitely watching out west for how far the Lakers tumble. They look pretty destitute without LeBron, in all honesty. Um, so we'll see if they can survive. But up next, we're shifting to the NFL and talking about what's going down there. Alrighty, guys, and welcome back to the show. And now we're going to talk about what's going down in my favorite sport of football and what's happening there. So just some news. Obviously, the NFL draft is coming up. NFL free agency is still happening. Uh, Speaking of the NFL draft, there's going to be a limited capacity draft this year, meaning that unlike last year, there will be an in-person draft. It will just be limited capacity in multiple locations. And it will be limited fans, you know, obviously there due to COVID and stuff like that. But we will have an in-person draft this year in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, it goes to Las Vegas next year. So that would be something cool. You know, this class will have the chance to um, celebrate their accomplishments. And not in the traditional way of the usual draft where, you know, they come up, they might shake the commissioner's hand, they might do a chest bump. I don't know what the protocol would be in terms of the big time picture um, situation that they usually do right after the pick. Uh, we'll see what happens uh, for guys like obviously Joe Burrow, Chase Young, um, Tristan Wirfs, Antoine Winfield Jr. Uh, I'm trying to think of some of the top picks last year. Those two are talking about lower Justin Herbert. Those guys didn't get the opportunity to do what was going to be really freaking cool in Vegas. Apparently, they're going to try and do it next year where they were going to boat. Uh, the guy was going to get picked. They were going to get in a boat and boat across the river or one of like the lazy ponds or something like that, one of the hotels, and get on the stage. It was, it was going to be insane. Um, so hopefully we get a chance to see that next season. Um, but it's going to be in Cleveland, Ohio coming up. So can't wait for that. Uh, speaking of the NFL draft, just a couple of uh, pro day notes. We had some guys work out. Uh, BYU quarterback Zach Wilson's is today. Uh, but we've seen Kyle Pitts and his workouts. He ran a 4-3-8, I believe. Um, I'm sorry, wrong time. 4-4-6 at uh, 6-6, 245, 46 pounds. He's an absolute monster. I, I look at the Jets at number two. Because Corey Davis kind of let the cat out of the bag and may have undercut a lot of leverage for the Jets because he came out and said 
he was told that he what well, he expects Sam Donald to be the quarterback. And basically his pitch was you're gonna come help Sam. So that may have undercut a lot of the leverage for the Jets because the Jets held all their cards because you knew Trevor Lawrence is going one to Jacksonville. Well, the Jets had kind of put it out there that they're evaluating all the quarterbacks. So this is done because the fan base may pressure a team to try and come all the way up to number two to try and grab whatever quarterback isn't Trevor Lawrence in the draft. Well, if, if Corey Davis is telling the truth, and if Corey Davis is just talking the truth that he's even told it, and that is, in fact, what the Jets are planning to do, which is ride out with Sam Donald and just build around him, maybe trade back a few spots and just get a cache of stuff, you know, he undercut a lot of the leverage. Because now, if I know, if I'm, let's say I'm a team that needs a quarterback, can't think right now, well, I mean, New England couldn't get that pick anyway, but if, I, if I'm Carolina, so I'm sitting at eight. Well, I could trade you eight, the current second round pick, a fourth round pick this year, maybe a second round pick next year, maybe even a first round pick next year to fly up to two to draft Trey Lance, for instance. Okay. If I know you're not going to get a quarterback, if I know you're going to draft a Kyle Pitts, a Panay Sewell, a Rashawn Slater, Jamar Chase, etc., I don't have to trade with you. I can go to Miami at three and trade with Miami because I know you're not going to draft a quarterback. You see what I'm saying? So he may have undercut a little bit of the Jets leverage. Hopefully he didn't do too much damage uh, letting that cut out the back. But if I'm the Jets, personally, if I'm the Jets, I draft Kyle Pitts. I, I can't. There, there's, you have Corey Davis. Um, you had a pretty decent receiving. Uh, it's, 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 it's okay. Your offensive line is solid. I mean, you have Makai Beckton. You have a couple other solid pieces on the offensive line. I cannot pass up on the opportunity at Kyle Pitts from the Jets. In, in the perfect world for the Jets, in a perfect Jets world, they trade back to, like I said, eight with Carolina. Kyle Pitts is sitting there, and you grab Kyle Pitts anyway. And then you draft like a Wyatt Davis in the second round to go to your offensive line. You draft, you know, maybe since you got another second, second round pick, you pick up a Terrence Marshall, fill in your receiving core. You know, if, if you're the Jets, there's options in a perfect world. But if you're sitting at two, and on your draft board, you have Penay Sewell, Rashawn Slater, Jamar Chase, Kyle Pitts, Devontae Smith, Jalen Wild. You know you're going to do something on the offensive end. On the offensive side of the ball, I should say. I would go with Kyle Pitts. That is the only player in this draft besides Penay Sewell that is physically different. And Rashawn stays up there, too. He's physically different than everybody else in the draft. Jamar Chase is an absolute monster of a physical freak. He is not physically different than anybody else. Now, he is a physical freak. He's a, he's a great route runner, great guy, point of a catch. He's not Kyle Pitts freaky. Paneso is probably the best looking, best looking tackle to come out of a draft in 10 years. Rashawn Slater is right behind him. So, I would go with one of those three from the Jets. Personally, I would lean Kyle Pitts. But that is something to definitely look out for. Micah Parsons might have made himself a couple hundred grand uh, yesterday as well, or recently as well. He ran a 4.38 at the Pro Day for Penn State. So he definitely may have made himself a few dollars running such a fast time for a middle linebacker. So now that 4.38 plus his tape is telling me you can go sideline to sideline. I don't have to worry about 
I can put you in a situation like Tampa's doing with Devin White and Levante David, where y'all go sideline to sideline. Uh, so we could put Michael Parsons in a similar situation and just let him roam the middle because he can go, like I said, sideline to sideline. Very easily can go hash to hash where he can just go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth and cover the middle of the field by himself with that kind of elite speed. And he also looked really good in the three cone drills and things like that to show off his quickness and his ability to cut in and out of breaks. And Micah Parsons is going to make somebody very happy at middle linebacker. And cornerback J.C. Horn. Uh, J.C. Horn made himself, may have jumped himself up to the number two cornerback in the draft behind a Patrick Sertain. So personally, I would have Patrick Sertain and Caleb Fairley at one evenly. And then J.C. Horn at number two, Asante Samuel, or J.C. Horn at number three, rather, Asante Samuel Jr. at number four. Um... But J.C. Horn has such a great workout. He may have projected himself up. Asante Samuel had a great workout as well. He may have projected himself maybe not up in the cornerback rankings. Maybe he has slid up a couple of picks. Um, They both have great workouts. And Caleb Fairley cannot work out because of a back injury. So in a year where he opted out and now he has a back injury, so he couldn't work out his pro day, not necessarily the greatest situation for Caleb Fairley. Hopefully, he gets his body together. Uh, hopefully, he is ready to go by the time camp starts. He should be. Expectations is he'll be fine by the time rookie camp starts. But that is something to definitely watch out for in terms of the other guys in your class are putting on a show at their respective pro days. And you, unfortunately, do not have that because of a, of a, of a back surgery, a microdisectomy. Um, so he could not work out at his pro day and uh, he already opted out last season. So maybe the results become mixed. He may end up being the fourth corner off the board. Like I said, we've seen Patrick Satane on the field and his workout. We've seen JC Horn on the field and his workout. We've seen Asante Samuel Jr. on the field and his workout. Does Kayla Fairley's not being on a football field, not in front of scouts for over a year, drop his status down? Um, in situations where we've had guys opt out, Michael Parsons opted out, but he worked out. Sewell and Rashawn Slater opted out. They both worked out. Jamar Chase opted out. He's going to work out. And so when you don't see a guy for over a year, does that affect his draft position? We're going to see. I, I, I believe in Caleb Farley. I believe he's a one of those guys that you get him in your organization, you just play him. You can play him in the slot. You can play him in the, on the outside. I prefer to have him on the outside. But I would just play him and just see what happens. Uh, but J.C. Horn definitely made himself a little money yesterday uh, or the past couple of days with his workouts. Now to some guys in the league and just a couple of stories. Um, obviously, free agents still continuing. Uh, Russell Wilson versus Pete Carroll is also still continuing. Now they're saying, they're saying pot shots through the media. It's weird. So, you know, we have Russell Wilson come out and say, I need a better offensive line. I want to be involved in decision making. And basically have a ballot of reasons why he wanted to be involved and the reasons things he thought Seattle should improve. Clearly, it sounded like things he tried to do it behind the scenes that didn't work. So Russell Wilson said, bump y'all. I'm about to go and get what I got to get and I'm going to make it happen. And I'm going to do it through the media and have the Fox Sports of the world, the ESPNs of the world, the CBS Sports of the world crush y'all. For not taking advantage of me or not taking care of me, I'm going to have them do it. So I don't have to do it. And when y'all get tired of hearing about it, 
from the local Seattle media and the national shows. You're going to do right by me. And so Seattle seemed to have done that. Uh, they obviously had Damian Lewis from uh, LSU. They drafted him at guard. They brought back their starter, Ethan Posick, also from LSU. Uh, he's now going to be their starting center. They uh, set out Dwayne Brown. And they made another offensive line acquisition. I cannot think of it right now. But they had another offensive line acquisition. Uh, they brought back Chris Carson. They still have DK Metcalf. They still have Tyler Lockett. They have an offensive coordinator that apparently Russell Wilson was involved in the decision making with. So he likes, or he, at least he's spoken with his new this new coordinator. And this new coordinator was involved. He was involved in that process. Which is something that he asked for as well. But then a report comes out, or it's rumored, that Pete Carroll's alleged open interest, or the Seahawks' open interest to Richard Sherman reunion was actually a pocket shot or a media shot at Russell Wilson, almost like a learn your lesson, because they, Richard Sherman, along with the rest of the crew, the Brandon Brown of the world, the Earl Thomas of the world, the um, Michael Bennett of the world, the Legion of Boom, that crew, that defense was loud. And so when they went, when they, when that loudness turned on Pete Carroll, thanks to the Marshawn Lynch, Russell Wilson, Malcolm Butler, triumvirate of events, they started moving those guys out left and right. Uh, Sherman had a Pro Bowl season since then, but he's never looked the same. Uh, Brandon Brown is out of the league shortly after because New Orleans, he caught, he had too many penalties and was an overrated corner. Uh, According to a lot of the fans, Michael Bennett ended up on the Patriots, but he was more of a rotational piece. I started rotational piece, but a rotational guy. I believe he picked up another ring, but he was never looked at the same, etc. So, reportedly, and the rumors are having it that Pete Carroll and John Snyder are sending a little public message by saying, We're interested in bringing back Richard Sherman because you saw what his career was without us. And do you want to go through that same fate, Russell Wilson? Uh, or do you want to effectively fall in line? So that was a very interesting development in that story. But then Russell Wilson sends a shot right back by saying that, or it is leaked that it is not off the table for your Russell Wilson trade and that there it may not be stuck to the original four teams, which was Chicago, which was Dallas, which was New Orleans, which was Vegas. And that a trade could come to a team outside of those four. And now you're thinking, Justin, why would Russell Wilson leak this? Okay. Stories do not come out of organizations without somebody warning them out. Somebody is talking. And it's somebody credible enough for this reporter to put their name to it. So somebody's talking and somebody high up is talking on either side. Remember that report? few years ago i think it was i think i think it was by tom curran uh about the patriots dysfunction and how brady and belichick were beefing and how belichick and Kraft had a beef and how brady and Kraft were going against belichick etc 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 and the patriots put out written statement after joint statement after written statement after joint statement deny 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 and then about 18 months after that you start hearing confirm 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 every every reason tom brady left pretty much was in detail in that report by Tom Curran. I want to say it's Tom Curran. If it's not Tom Curran, I apologize. Uh, was detailed in that report. And you realize where that was all that smoke. That was a hell of a big fire. 
Well, Russell Wilson is currently going through his smoke fest. And when there's all there's that much smoke, there has to be a fire. There's something going on in Seattle. They're sending pocket shots back and forth. Now, even though you did all these moves, quote unquote, for Russell Wilson, there's a rumor that he still may be traded. It's not off the table and that it's not limited to the original four teams. Something's going on in Seattle. Somebody needs to get to the bottom of it because if it doesn't, it may tank the Seattle Seahawks organization. Uh, you, you don't get stars like that and they leave and your organization recovers and it's fine and everything's hunky-dory. Somebody's going to have to make a move there or come out and say something. The Seattle Seahawks is not saying anything about, you know, Russell's our quarterback. They haven't said anything. Russell Wilson hasn't used Go Hawks on a tweet in a very long time. I mean, he's tweeting at the new free agent acquisitions, but he's not Go Hawks in and all that stuff. He hasn't done it in a very long time. And so this relationship clearly appears to be, I wouldn't say on the rocks, but it is definitely rocky. Speaking of one of those landing places that Russell Wilson had told us to go to, the Chicago Bears enjoy doing something. They enjoy, well, to be honest, torturing their own fan base. So when the Russell Wilson rumors started, the Bears were connected. The Bears didn't deny their connection. They honestly effectively admitted to the fact they were connected to Russell Wilson. They were okay with the situation. They were they were going to go for it, right? And then they, it was leaked out. They gave a Godfather-style offer. So Seattle refused. Chicago has no quarterback. They turned Andy Dalton. We know the rest of the story. And I think Chicago, I think GM Ryan Pace is doing head coach Matt Nagy a disservice. I mean, you got fans thinking Matt Nagy can't coach. Matt Nagy can coach. Matt Nagy knows offense. He knows football. That man can coach. I think Ryan Pace is doing him a massive disservice. But they, on social media, put out a Photoshop picture of Andy Dalton in the Chicago Bears uniform with the caption QB1. I don't even understand why you tweet that. Because now your fan base is going to go, we could have had Russell freaking Wilson. We ended up with Andy Dalton. Bad enough. But now you're basically admitting there's no QB competition. It's going to be Andy Dalton. And you're paying Nick Foles a healthy, a healthy, hefty contract because he was there as a possible starter because Mitch Trubisky, who used to be the starter, was also not that good because you traded up in the NFL draft one spot for no reason to draft the wrong quarterback. But hey, Chicago, it, it is par for the course. You had one great quarterback in your franchise history, Sid Luckman. You had a couple good ones. You had Jim McMahon. You had Jay Cutler. You had Rex Grossman. You had a couple of good ones. But you had one great one. That was Sid Luckman. So maybe that's your organizational flaw. Maybe that is something that you just cannot do. Every organization has a flaw. For the Patriots, it seems to be drafting skill positions. They're just not good at it. It happens. For Green Bay, it seems to be not looking five years down the road and appreciating what you have now. For the New Orleans Saints, is drafting linebackers in perfect honesty. Everybody has a flaw. Every every team has a strength, though. Like, for instance, for the Patriots, they are really, really good at scouting for agents and getting a value guy to play well. They are really good at mid-round picks. 
Uh, the Steelers are really good at receivers. The Packers are really good at offensive linemen. The uh, Kansas City Chiefs are really good at skill positions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you just get really good at picking something inside of an organization. But the Bears are just not good at quarterback picking. I, I don't know what it is. Now, it is a tough market. It is a market. It is a stadium where it's going to be open air, windy, and bad weather. So, the type of quarterback you get matters. Uh, how big his arm you get matters. Can't, you know, it's not a dome guy where, you know, you play in the NFC South or play in New Orleans or the Rams or the Chargers or one of these dome teams, Vikings, where at least half your games are inside. Colts. Or at least half your games are in a dome. You know, you don't get that advantage. In terms of, okay, I know I can play eight games with a weaker arm quarterback because we're inside in a dome. And so that is definitely something to watch out for in Chicago, how they handle the rest of this, my opinion, Ryan Pace error. I don't think I don't think it has a lot of life left in it, but we will definitely keep our eye on that. Now, another quarterback acquisition, another team that never seems to know what they're doing. The Philadelphia Eagles um, are signing Joe Flacco to a deal. I honestly don't know at this point. I've officially reached the I don't know point with the Philadelphia Eagles. I have no earthly clue because you sign a quarterback in Joe Flacco, which he should be no threat to Jalen Hurts. So that was that fits in the. that fits in the mold of what owner Jeffrey Lurie wanted. He wanted no competition for Jalen Hurts. He wanted Hurts to be solidified as a starter. Cool organization, organization have a clear path, a clear future, a clear way to succeed, etc., etc., etc. Humor me. What happens if Jalen Hurts, because he, he doesn't run around a little bit, he does take some shots. What happens if he gets hurt? You put in Joe Flacco, who doesn't look, I don't know, anything like... Jalen Hurts, you could have traded for Marcus Mariota. You could have signed RG3. You could have done a couple of other people that are not threats to Jalen Hurts, but could help you win games because they look like Jalen Hurts on the field. You went with, you could have brought in Mitchell Trubisky. You went with Joe Flacco. Interesting. Um, the the Eagles at this point are just I'm convinced throwing they have a have a wall of things that they could do. And they take a dart and they turn off all the lights in the room. And they take a dart and they just throw it at the wall. And they have really, really unfortunate aim because they're getting a lot of bad decisions like Joe Flacco. I don't get it. The offenses they could run aren't the same. You can't practice the same. The timing won't even be alike. So when Flacco comes in the game, if Flacco comes in at practice, you're running a completely different skill set of plays. Because like I said, the timing won't be the same. You're not going to get an RPO correct read with Joe Flacco. The same way we were with Jalen Hurts. At the same time, when you do drop back stuff, Flacco's going to look a lot better at than Jalen Hurts because Hurts is not a legitimate drop back NFL passer yet. I I don't get any, I don't get this move in the, at all, honestly. I'm I'm very perplexed by it. I'm I'm I don't know honestly. This is the only situation on planet Earth that leaves me perplexed in terms of the Philadelphia Eagles. I I have no idea. Maybe they know something I don't. I have no clue. Uh, and then the rumor they're still 
considering a quarterback at six. I don't know if that's just trade bait, trying to get somebody to come up to them. But I'm very confused at what the Philadelphia Eagles are attempting to do here with their quarterback room and their team in general. Um, I have no idea. Another, well, already happened divorce that turns out was long time coming, like most divorces are. Um, usually when a husband and wife get divorced, they have had problems for six months, for a year, and somebody comes home and just says, you know what, she's crazy, I can't do it, or he's selfish and I can't do it, and you know, it, it happens. You know, when a breakup and a divorce happens, usually there are signs of whatever it, it, it was coming to happening. And so for Jared Goff and Sean McVay, when they were both at the Rams and that divorce happened, it occurred right after the latest loss to the San Francisco 49ers, where apparently McVay lit into golf in front of the teammates, you know, cursing at him and just lit into him by he has to play better and can't turn the ball over, etc. Now, this was not something Sean McVay didn't do before, but he would come back and apologize, you know, apologize for losing his temper, try to be more constructive, etc., etc. And according to the report, a very well done report, um, it was that McVay didn't come back to apologize and he would lay into golf and had flat out just basically stopped apologizing for it. He was over the Jared Goff era. He was over golf, effectively holding him back. Now, he, Sean McVay, Jared Goff owes his current contract and not being Mitchell Trubisky in terms of trying to scrape together any deal anywhere to Sean McVay. The world was over Jared Goff. He was labeled, he was getting labeled as a bust. People were saying, oh my God, how could the Rams not have picked Carson Wentz? They picked Jared Goff, etc. You picked the smaller. I mean, they were laying, you picked a smaller, less athletic, less accurate quarterback in Jared Goff. Like, how did you do this? He was on the Jeff Fisher. Sean McVay comes in, offensive genius, saves Jared Goff, gets Jared Goff paid, gets Jared Goff to Super Bowl. But what's the wide red thought? Yeah, that's cool, but golf's a computer program that McVay's programming. Golf's a computer and, and McVay's the computer program. A computer with a shell of itself with no coding can't do anything. It's, it's basically a TV monitor. When you put in the correct programming code, now you get Microsoft Word, now you get Google, now you get it to do everything. McVay was the coder. Golf was just the placeholder at the position. But now you've got a legitimate guy in Matt Stafford and, and McVay was over golf holding him back limiting how much software he can put on the iPhone, uh, limiting him. And so McVay ultimately was over it and they ended up pulling the trigger on Matt Stafford. Um, so that was a very interesting story to read. The fact that, you know, there was a drop dead date when the relationship died. Uh, and it could be a McVay ego thing. I mean, look, remember, the, there's the story of the Washington football team staff that had Kyle Shanahan that had Matt LaFleur that had Sean McVay on it all at one time. And Jay Gruden was on that staff as well. All at one time. Well, Kyle Shanahan's been to a Super Bowl and was a Jim Garoppolo away, throw away from winning it. Matt LaFleur has been to two conference championship games in a row. He has Aaron freaking Rodgers. And McVay is in the division with Kyle Shanahan and hadn't beaten him yet. The, the McVay is four is 0-4 against Kyle Shanahan. Uh, his last in the last two years, and he's probably looking at Jared Goff like you're part of the reason I can't win with you. He's be he just beat me with freaking Nate, Nick Mullins, 
and I can't because you're turning the ball over more than Nick Mullins is. Can't beat Nick Mullins and Kyle Shanahan with you as my quarterback. So I'm gonna go out and give me a real guy. He went out and got Matt Stafford. So that was a very interesting read in its entirety. Um, just to run through a few big name free agents that's still out there. Antonio Brown, obviously of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Last, he's still floating out there. Uh, Luna Fournette, same of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He's still floating out there. A couple of edge rushers, uh, Jadavion Clowney is making a move. He is, he was been talking with Cleveland, very good football player, not the hype he had out of college, but a very good football player. He is going to be picked up by somebody. Hopefully he's healthy so he can show what he can do. Um, he was last on the Tennessee Titans, but was hurt all year. Uh, didn't really work out there. Melvin Ingram of the Los Angeles Chargers, he's out there as well. Surprised the Chargers had made a move to bring him back. James Conner, running back of the Pittsburgh Steelers, he's out there. Ty Gurley, running back Atlanta Falcons and the Rams famously, he's out there. Sammy Watkins is the biggest receiver left out there. Uh, Larry Fitzgerald has not decided to retire yet. Obviously, if he does come back, he's probably going to be in Arizona. Um, so he is there. He's out there. KJ Wright, linebacker of the Seahawks, he's floating out there. And a couple of corners, Richard Sherman and Quentin Dunbar are also still out there for someone to come in and sign. So hopefully these deals break sooner rather than later. And so we can get a good look at the uh, draft, uh, do another mock draft and see what's what in terms of teams and maybe do a full on playoff breakdown. You know, once some of these other deals come through and we see the draft. But up next, we are going to have our best for last, which is going to be a talk about NBA legend Elgin Baylor. Alrighty, guys, and welcome back into the show. And now we're going to talk about an all-time NBA great, uh, Mr. Elgin Baylor, who passed away uh, over the past week at age 86. He was the original wing that we think of today, the modern wing. Um, he was the one of the five guys, five or six guys you can credit with keeping the NBA and building the NBA um, in its early years. Well, not in its early years per se, but in its formative years in the 60s and the 70s and stuff like that um before kareem he was the laker um I mean, they had, I mean that was wilt that was jerry west but without elgin baylor as well he was the transition from minneapolis to the los angeles elgin baylor was really really good in minneapolis and he was really really great in uh, la uh, he had 11 healthy seasons he was a 10-time first team all nba that's only been passed by two or three people uh, with much longer careers, guys like LeBron, guys like Kobe. I uh, think Carl Malone is the other guy that has it. He has a career lifetime average of 27 and 13 and a half. He is the inventor of the Eurostep. So the Eurostep we see today. So not so much the big step Manu Ginobili took, but the step through style Eurostep. Elgin Baylor was doing that in the 60s. Uh, there's video of it. Uh, he didn't get the credit for it. That's why it's called the Euro step because Manu Ginobili really, really popularized it when he got over here. And we started to see it a lot in the Olympic game. They would do it, um, which threw the Americans off for a while because nobody in America did it. So it threw the Americans off for a while. They would go to the goal Euro step through and blow right past our centers because 
Like I said, nobody in America did it. Um, so he's a really, he's a true inventor of the Eurostep. He's a, he was an amazing ambassador to the game. Uh, like I said, all-time Laker great, all-time NBA great. Retired, does not have a championship ring officially because he retired in the middle of the year that they won the championship. So he went to the finals eight times in his career, lost all eight. Most of them, I don't know, not all of them to the Celtics. Um, in the year that Wilt and Jerry finally break through and win, um, Elgin Baylor retired, had retired in the middle of the season, which by today's standards is not fathomable. Hell, back then, that wasn't fathomable. But basketball and sports in general, were that 71, I believe, something like that, wasn't the Beezies. I mean, finals was on tape delay if it was shown at all. Like, sports then wasn't nearly sports now. I mean, imagine who's the third worst player on the team. Like, Kyle Kuzma, even though he's nowhere near Elgin Baylor, great. Or like Kyrie Irving just deciding that, now I'm done. Middle of the season. It, it, it would dominate sports talk for for weeks. I mean, it would, it would just be throwing I me. Mean, every time you would talk about the season, it would be, well, how different it would have been had Kyrie stayed. I mean, it's it's insane. The fact to think that an all-time great, finally, his team finally wins the ring, and it was the year he happened to retire midseason. He was, like I said, the first modern wing, could shoot, was flying above the rim, dunking, like I said, had a shot, could handle the ball, um, was one of these elite players that we don't have a lot of footage of because the NBA did a horrible job of, we have footage of Babe Ruth in the 40s, you know, and some of his big moments. We have footage of that. And so the fact that the NBA didn't have footage of guys like, a lot of footage of guys like Elgin Baylor, Bill Russell, Wilt Chamberlain. I mean, so like like Bill Russell and his COVID commercial, that was the first time I'd ever seen that block in my life. Like, the time he blocks him, but he jumps over the guys, he blocks it. That's the first time I'd ever seen that block in my life. And Bill Russell was one of the greatest players. There's no footage of Wilt Chamberlain's 100-point game. There's little to no footage of guys like Elgin Baylor, Jerry West. Really, we didn't really get footage, footage of guys until the mid-70s, early 80s. There's not a lot of footage of Kareem in Milwaukee. Not a lot of footage of Oscar Robinson. There's some still shots of these guys, some great still shots, but nothing... Um, crazy in terms of footage that we could really watch and look back to. I mean, there's stuff that comes out on social media sometimes of Will Chamberlain and some of his athletic feats and you're like, oh my god. Like, yeah, that's the first time we'd ever seen this footage. And so um, there's not a lot of footage of Elgin Baylor, but the stuff you do see and hearing about guys, man, like that was the original two-way wing. Like I said, the true inventor of the Eurostep. Lifetime average of 27 and 13 and a half. He, in one season, I believe, averaged like 35 points a game with 17 rebounds. And he was only six foot five in an era with, on the same team as a Wilt Chamberlain, in an era with a Bill Russell and some of the other great rebounders of the day. He rebounded, I mean, he averaged 17 rebounds a game one year. Absolute monster, uh, absolute legend. The NBA is not the same without him. Uh, the Lakers franchise is not the same without him as well. Uh, so thoughts out to his family, prayers out to his family and the whole Laker family and nation and the NBA family and nation in general. Um, but that is all we have for today. I hope you guys enjoyed it. It was a two sports show day. Uh, we got a lot of time in on both. So I hope you guys definitely enjoyed that. And remember, follow at JTime Sports on Twitter, which will give you breaking news and updates. We were all over free agency all day. And remember to also 
subscribe on both iTunes and Spotify. Tell your friends. And I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. This is your host, Justin Jackson, signing out.